Thanks for listening to this week's message from Gateway City Church. For more information about Gateway City, check us out online at gatewaycitychurch.co. We hope you enjoy today's message. Well, good morning and welcome to Gateway City Church. How are you feeling today? You feeling good? Excited to be at church today? Has, is the Christmas season off to a good start for you? Now, it, do you love Christmas? I love Christmas. It's a lot of fun. We had, we had a good time last night. Hannah mentioned earlier that we had our, our Christmas movie night last night. Uh, I, came, I came in, in my best Olaf onesie is what I did. I went to Target. I saw an Olaf onesie, and, uh, and they had my size. And that, that, of course, means, listen, you know that if you go to a store and you see something you like, and they've got your size, you know that's a sign from the Lord that you're just supposed to have it, right? So, so that's exactly what I did. I saw the Olaf onesie, you know, and, 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 and when I, I actually tried it on before I bought it, and I didn't go to the fitting room to do it. I just did it, did it right there in the men's section with my wife watching me, and I proceeded to break out into song, you know, you know, in summer, you know, the, you know, the whole, so yeah. And uh, Suzanne had never been more proud of her husband in that moment. But, uh, but listen, listen, uh, you know, you, I mean, you got to have fun. You got to have fun. But, uh, but so glad you guys are here. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, we're in week two of a series uh, that, we're, that we're teaching that we're just called God, God With Us. God With Us. And really what we're doing is we're just taking a few weeks in and around the Christmas season just to kind of wrap our minds and our hearts around the fact that God is with us in the various seasons of life that, that we walk through. And the verse that we kind of going to be reading, uh, and really reading at the beginning of every message over these couple of weeks, and, and then on, on December 22nd, whenever we have our kind of our, our, our Christmas Eve service, so to speak, as you will, uh, I'm, going to be, I'm going to actually be kind of unpacking this, pa- this passage. But it's a verse out of Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. And it says that, Look, the virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means... God is with us. God is with us. And last week we talked about, uh, if you were here, if you watched it later online, uh, we talked about how the fact that, that God is with us in, in the valleys that we walk through. In the valley, and, and really from a spiritual perspective, you know, valleys, it's, it's really defined as just this difficult thing, the difficult season that you're walking through, you're faced with difficult circumstances. But I also want to highlight the fact that valleys, uh, the definition of a valley, you look it up, it says it is a land, it is a low area of land between hills or mountains, typically with a river or a stream flowing through it. And I think what's interesting to note about valleys is that while valleys in our lives, in terms of a spiritual sense and the things that we go through, they are difficult seasons. They're difficult things, they're difficult seasons that we're walking through, they're difficult circumstances that we're having to navigate. But what I want to highlight about valleys is it is a low area between two high places. Meaning, meaning that whenever you are going through a valley, you can look back at where you have come from to see where God had had you before. And then you can also look ahead of you to see where God is taking you. There is that, like, I'm in the middle of something difficult right now, but I can see where I'm going. I'm moving to something greater. And as I'm walking through this difficult thing, the Bible, the definition says that there's usually a, a stream that flows through a valley, meaning that you've got a source. You've got a source of sustenance. You've got something with you in that valley a lot of times that helps kind of give you some provision as you're navigating a difficult circumstance. 
I can look back to where I've been and see God's faithfulness there, and I can look ahead to where I'm going knowing that he's taking me somewhere, and as I'm going through this difficult season, I got some people around me that are encouraging me as I'm walking through this. But what about the times in life that you really can't look back and see where you've come from? And you, you really look back and, and you look and you're like, I, I can't, I can't see, I can't remember. And whenever you look ahead, you you really don't know. You really don't know where you're going. You really don't have your eye on something that leads you into, into that place where you know, God, I'm, I'm, in, I'm struggling now, but God, say, but what happens in those like where you just can't see that? And you really don't feel like there's any provision around you. What do you do in those seasons of life where you look all around you and you just don't know where to go? You don't know where to turn. You don't want, you don't want to know what to do next. The Bible, the Bible has, a, has a term for, for these seasons of life as well. It's not a valley. The Bible often uh, defines these seasons of life as as just wilderness. It's just wilderness. And the definition of wilderness, I looked up the definition of wilderness, and it says that that it's an uncultivated, uninhabited, inhospitable region. It says that it's an empty, pathless area or region. Have you ever been in a place in your life where you didn't feel like there was a path that you could find anywhere to follow? You didn't know where to go. You didn't know where to turn. There didn't seem to be any, any, any sense of direction that you could find. It also says that, that a wilderness is a confusing multitude of mass. It's a bewildering situation. See, wilderness, wilderness is different than a valley. Wilderness and valley, yes, they have some things in common in terms of like, it, man, it's a difficult season, it's, it's a hardship, it's a struggle, it's a trial, but wilderness, it, it implies that, it implies that because I have, because there's really, it's, it's a pathless area that I'm in, it means that I really can't make any sense of which direction I should go, and because I don't know which way I should go, it's going to take me a while to get out of this. I can't, I can't see a way out. So wilderness implies, implies just, it implies that, you're, that it's a difficulty where you can't see a way out and you're going to be there for a while. Anybody ever felt like that? You're walking through a particular season of life, a particular difficulty, and you just really can't see a way out. And, and I'm so deep into it that I just can't turn around and go back to where I came from because I've, I've lost my way. That's a wilderness. That's what the Bible defines as a wilderness. It, it, it defines it. It's a, it's this. It's it's hardships, but it implies that it's wandering. It implies that it, I'm, I mean, it's, it's an extended period of time. I'm alone. I've got no real direction. I've got no really sense of where I should go, what I should do, what turn I should make now. You know, wilderness. Like, you know, should I should should I should I stay in this job that I don't really see any future in? Should I just stay in this job? There's really no upward mobility. Or do I need to leave this job and go back to school? You know, if I go back to school, I might have student loans, and it's going to take me a while to pay off that. Like, it's just I don't really know what to do. I don't really know what to do. Should I, should I keep dating this guy? Just, I've been with him for several years, and should I just keep dating this guy and just hope that he proposes? You know, I, I've been with him for a few years, and so, like, if I end it now, I've got, I've, I feel like I've got all this time that I've wasted. You know, do I really want to start over now? Like, what, what, what do I do? 
And if he does propose, God, please let it be a real ring for crying out loud. Don't come up in here with no zirconia. Better come up in here with a diamond. But what, what, like, what do I do? Like, what do I do? Do I, do I stay in this situation or, or, do I, or do I not? Do I not? In Matthew chapter 3, you see Jesus. Jesus, he's, he's baptized. And then immediately following Jesus' baptism, which was an amazing moment, Jesus steps into the river, is baptized, and then the Bible says that the heavens opened up and the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. And you, can, and you heard the audible voice of God, his Father, saying, This is my Son, and in him I am well pleased. And then immediately following that amazing moment, the Bible says that Jesus is immediately led into the wilderness. And he's there for 40 days, and he's there, and he's there being tempted by, 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 by Satan. And the Bible says that he becomes hungry, and he's tired, and he's exhausted. And I want to note that, that but, it, but, it's, but it's this wilderness that Jesus had to go through that prepared him for the task that God had set before him. And what I want you to know is, what I want you to recognize this is this today, is that your struggle becomes your strength when it leads you to dependence on God. Your struggle will become your strength if it leads you to a place where you depend on God to make it through. In the Old Testament book of 1 Kings, there's a, we, we can read about uh, an Old Testament prophet by the name of Elijah. And Elijah was this, this amazing man of God. God used him to do some amazing things. God used him to do some incredible things. I mean, like he defeated, he defeated 850 false prophets of a false god. God showed up in an incredible way. But really, right immediately following that, we see Elijah like be overcome by fear and run for his life. And run for his life. And he enters into the, and, and he, he flee, he flees into the wilderness. And I want to, and I just want I want to I want to share with you today just this. This story, I'm going to set it up. So like Elijah has defeated 850 prophets of a false god. God showed up in an amazing way. God's doing some incredible things in this man's life, through this man's life to prove himself to, to this nation. And then he gets, and then because, and then he gets threatened by, by the queen of this nation. By the queen, and, and, and because this queen threatens him, it sends him into hiding. He begins to run for his life. He's been getting hunted down by King Ahab for three years. And he's standing strong in the face of King Ahab. But the moment King Ahab tells his wife, Queen Jezebel, what Elijah has done, Elijah defeated 850 of our prophets. And then not only did he defeat them, he had them put to death. And Queen Jezebel, she like, I mean, ultimate like power move. She said, okay, she said, she said, husband, King Ahab, if you can't take care of this dude, I'm going to come after him. And she sends Elijah this message. She said, like, may the gods deal with me severely if by this time tomorrow you're not dead. I'm talking, puts out a, like, she puts out a hit on him. And Elijah panics, and he runs for his life. And this is where I want to pick up in 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 3, beginning in verse 3. It says, Elijah was afraid, afraid because of the death threat that Queen Jezebel had put on his life. It says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And whenever he came to Beersheba in Judah, which if you don't know, if you, you look at the map from where Elijah was to where he fled to, he, did, he didn't just like hide out in the town. This guy fled about 100 miles away. And kind of then you're traveling on foot, so you're taking about 10 miles a day. It took him 10 days to get here. So he didn't just go hide. I mean, he, he, I mean, he fled and left 100 miles. 
And then he left his servant there, which that's never a good thing, isolate yourself. And while he, and while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and he came to a broom brush, and he sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Have you ever done that? Have you ever, have you ever said, like, hey, God, like, I'm, I'm like, just, God, you're, I, I don't know why you keep using me. I'm no better than the people that you've sent before. You've ever just compared yourself to the people around you who seem to be where you want to be and have what you have, and you allow their success to become your failure? Here's what I want you to know. God never told Elijah that he had to be better than anybody. I need you to know that today. God has never told you that you have to be as good as somebody else. God never, their calling is not your calling. All God wants you to do is listen to his instruction, be obedient, and be the person he's called you to be. Be who he's called you to be. If God wanted, like, God never called you to, to live out their calling. He called you to live out yours. And so much of the time, we, we, we spend our time, like, chasing down the lives that other people have, and we're missing out on the life that God has intended for us. And we wonder why we're not fulfilled. We wonder why we're not satisfied. We wonder why we're not content. It's because you're trying to live somebody else's life and not your own. You can't live their life. That life's taken. It's theirs. Live out your calling. Live out your life for who God's called you to be. And I promise you, in that, you will find satisfaction. You will find contentment. You will, be, you will never feel more fulfilled. But listen, it's easy to feel. I, 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 listen, I, I get it, but I, it's easy. I see where it's easy to feel this way. Elijah has said, like, man, I'm exhausted. I've had enough. How many of you have ever had just had you, you, I've just had it. I've had enough. You just had it up to here. You, anybody feel like that? My, my boss is demanding. They're narcissistic. They're like, I, I can't, I've had enough. Like, if you're in here and you, you're, you're a parent, you, you know this feeling. Like, you know, you got, you got kids. You, you, you mean, your kids are great. Kids are phenomenal. They're good kids. But the moment they're helping you clean the kitchen and they load the dishwasher and they put the Tupperware container in the dishwasher with the lid on it, I'm sorry. I've just had enough. Like what inside of you feel like what inside of you makes you think that that's going to get clean if you put that in there with the lid on it? You just had enough. Oh man, had enough where like you maybe you're making some headway with your finances. Man, you're paying off some bills. You're getting some loans paid off, and then you know your three-year-old sticks a, a button up their nose, and you got to go to the emergency room, and and it's a high deductible. My sister actually did that one time. Just shoved a button right up her nose at three years old. Just for the longest time, we wondered why every time she breathed, she was whistling. I didn't, I didn't get it. Just walking around. <laughs> like, what is going on with you? You just got to take her to the emergency room, and yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a button in her nose. And I'm not, and it, I mean, it was a large button. Like an overcoat kind of button. I don't know how she got it up in there. It was amazing. Just had enough. You've got to be kidding me. Or maybe, maybe if you don't have kids, but you have a dog. You have a, <laughs> you have a dog. Listen, like, we, we have a rescue. We have a rescue. Her name's Frenchie. And listen, we rescued this dog off the cold, hard streets of New Mexico. I don't even know if New Mexico has cold, hard streets. I don't know. It's just the way that I like to see it in my head. Because it makes me, it makes what we did a little bit better, I think. Like, we rescued this dog. She had no home. She had no family. We gave her a home. 
We we actually we actually like we we just her name's Frenchie and we think she's just real bougie and so like we call her we call her Frenchie Bougie. That's what we call her. And and I, I got, she she has a she has a she has a memory foam bed that she sleeps on. And then the moment we leave the house to come to church, this dog, this dog just turns on us and we go home. Listen, if you come see our Christmas tree, like the bottom half of it has no ornaments. Has no ornaments. And I don't understand. Like, listen, we rescued you, we gave you a home. The least you could do is appreciate it. I've had enough. Maybe Thanksgiving dinner, you work really, really hard to prepare the meal. And then, like, nobody helps you clean up. They're all just sitting there taking naps while you're, like, cleaning up. And, like, and you turn into a Jezebel. Somebody's going to die. Like, I mean, like, you know, you just had enough. Like, we all, we know, we know what it's like to just, to feel like we just had enough. And this is where Elijah is. Elijah has been, man, God, I've been serving you. I've been doing, I've been doing, I've been doing what you've called me to do. I've been listening to your instruction. I've been obedient. Like, man, I've stood face to face in the eye with this evil king. And I told this king that because of his wickedness and because of his sin, you weren't going to allow it to reign for three years, and you did it. And now this king is after me. He's got a hit on me, been chasing me for three years. And then, and then, he does, then Elijah does all these other amazing things. During this three years, he actually, he actually raises a widow's dead son back to life. Amazing things. Then he faces down 850 false prophets, puts them to death, defeats them. And then, and then, and then he asks God, he said, God, like, I, we need it to rain. And God hears him, makes it rain. Like, Elijah has, like, seen God do amazing things in the way of, like, providing for him. And just provision and power. But all, like, but, but, man, all of this is just built up. And now this queen has put out a death threat on me, and I've just had enough. I can't take it anymore. And he just runs for his life. Runs for his life. Threat comes, he falls apart. One commentary that I read, and I think it's really important to highlight this, is that, is that whenever Elijah fled for his life, did you realize that he was fleeing from an enemy that had already been defeated? He was fleeing from an enemy that he had already overcome. How many of you are still running from things that you've you've already overcome. You've already won the battle, but yet it's still holding you captive. And this is what people, this is, this is what we do. This is what God's children do the moment we step outside of God's will and his purpose and his plan for our life. The moment we, God's, I'm telling you whenever, you, whenever you step outside of God's will and God's purpose for your life, man, like we do some foolish things. We will do some foolish things and oftentimes, and oftentimes we will fail at things that are actually like our, great, our greatest area of strength. If you read the Old Testament and you read about the story of Abraham, and Abraham like fled to Egypt because he, because he lacked faith in who God was and what God could do and how God could provide for him. But whenever you read the entirety of Abraham's story, you'll recognize that actually faith was Abraham's greatest strength. But outside of God's will, his strength, his strength wasn't, wasn't the thing that, that fa- his strength was the thing that failed him. You read the story of King David. You read about David. David, David's most notable characteristic and his greatest strength was his integrity. Yet it was his integrity that failed the moment he stepped outside of God's will and had an affair with a married woman. And then he told lies to cover it up. 
Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, Peter walked alongside of Jesus, heard Jesus teach the things that he taught, saw Jesus perform miracles, and one of Peter's most notable characteristics was how courageous he was. But the moment the Roman soldiers came to arrest Jesus and take him away, Peter's courage failed him because whenever he was questioned about it and confronted about it, he denied even knowing Jesus. The things that are our greatest strengths will often fail us the moment we step outside of God's will and the thing that we thought that made us strong outside of God's strength, it seems to, just, it seems to fail us. It seems to fail us seems to fail us and if Elijah could if Elijah could just sit down with a counselor and just describe to that counselor how he was feeling and what he was thinking and his thought process I believe that counselor could probably diagnose Elijah with just like man you got a textbook case of just burnout you are exhausted and because you're exhausted it's led you to a place where you mean you're you're afraid you're fearful it's led you to a place where you're depressed and rather than being led by God, rather than being led by His purpose and His will, by leaning it, rather than leaning into His strength, you are leaning into your insecurity. You're leaning into your self pity. He just, he just, he, he isolated himself, and he's exhausted. Have you ever just been exhausted? You ever been? You ever, have you ever just been tired? I'm from the South, and whenever we get like it's, I'm, I'm tired. That's how you say it in the South. Like if you just mean, I'm just tired. I don't know how we spell it, but that's just how we say it. You just get tarred. T-A-R-D, I guess, maybe, I don't know. But that, but you, you just you get you get exhausted to the point. But you know what I've realized is I've realized that that many times whenever I get to feeling like that, it's it's more than just like I, it's more than needing needing physical rest. Because if I was if I was just physically tired. Well, then all I just all I could do all I had to do is just take a nap, and then I wake up and I'm refreshed. But have you ever taken a nap and you still wake up tired? That's the most frustrating thing in the world. Well, kind of what I've learned is that is that whenever that kind of happens, well, then then my exhaustion is probably coming from another place. And it's not so much that I'm in need of physical rest as as much as it is I, I need some spiritual replenishment. And, and may, maybe I'm not tired. Maybe I'm just depleted. And I'm in, I'm in need I'm in need of God just just covering me with his presence and I'm in need of God because you know like we get we get exhausted like I went I went to a I went to a small conference one time uh, several years back and it was a just a small conference a, a few pastors people in ministry had gotten together man they were just they man they were they'd been working hard they were tired and they just kind of get together for a couple of days, you know, just to kind of catch a break a little bit and just spend some time together. And, and, and whenever we came together, we really didn't spend any time. Like, we, we didn't really, there was, there was like no teaching. It was mostly just a time of just worship and prayer. And what I realized in that moment was that, like, I wasn't tired because I was physically exhausted. I was tired because I had been pouring out and pouring out and pouring out. And I hadn't really been allowing other people or God to pour into me. And whenever you cease to receive something from somebody that's pouring into you, you will run out of things to pour out. And you will become depleted. And you're in need of spiritual replenishment. You need a spiritual replenishment. And this is where we find, this is where we find, this is where we find Elijah. This, 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 is, why, this is why David said in Psalm 23, I read, this, I read this scripture last week. It's why David said, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my guide. He's my provider. 
The Lord is my shepherd, and because and because I have a shepherd who provides for me, I don't. There, I, I, I have I have no need. I'm not lacking for anything. And then he leads me. He leads me. But he leads me beside. Like he leads me beside cool cool waters, and he makes me lay down in, in green pastures. And he, he says that he says that the Lord is my shepherd. He restores my soul. He restores my soul. And this is where we find Elijah, just exhausted, burnt out. And what I love is that, is that in the middle of this, he's exhausted, he's burnt out, he's frustrated. I love the fact that God just doesn't preach him a sermon. I love that God doesn't tell him, go memorize a bunch of scripture. He doesn't, he doesn't question Elijah's faith. He just says, I love this, he just says, he says, he tells him just to get something to eat and to rest. That's a word right there. Take you a nap and get some food. I'm preaching way better than you're responding right there. This is what he says in verses 5 and 6. He says, all at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, he looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals. It can be gluten-free if you want it to be. And a jar of water. And, and I love this part. He ate and drank, and then he laid down again. Come on, somebody, for the snooze button. Come on. I hit it this morning. We were here last night late, and I had to get up early, and I didn't get up the first time the alarm clock went. Praise God for the snooze button. I believe that the inventor of the snooze button is, is happily in heaven today. I really do believe that. So, I, come on, I, I need a snooze button every now and again. And here's what I need you to know. At times, at times... The most spiritual thing that you can do whenever you're exhausted, whenever you're tired, whenever you don't know where to turn, you don't know which step to take, the best thing that you can do, the most spiritual thing that you can do is just be still and rest. Drown out the noise and just, and just embrace, embrace the quietness that's around you. Sometimes the most powerful things that God does, they're, they're done in silence. They're done in silence. Embrace it. Embrace it. In verse 7, it says that the angel of the Lord came back a second time. I don't know about you, but I'm grateful for the second time. Because sometimes I just don't get it the first time around. So I'm grateful for a second chance. I'm grateful for a God who has grace on me when I don't understand it the first time and he's trying to get something into my stubborn mind and into my stubborn heart. He says he came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and he ate and he drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he had reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. Elijah is napping all over the place. And the word of the Lord came to him. He says, where are you? What are you doing, Elijah? And he replied, and this is the exhaustion of it all. This is the, this is the burnout. I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars, and they've put, and they've put your prophets to death with the sword. And I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. This combination of just emotional burnout, exhaustion, frustration like it and just this deep sense of failure it has led Elijah to a place of just depression but it's in the middle of his greatest need that God that God that God speaks to him draws him close 
And you're going to see, you're going to see Elijah's struggle become his strength because it's leading him to a place where he's depending on God. And in verse 11, the Bible says that the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. I believe somebody in here today needs to hear that. Somebody, you are going through something that is difficult, and what you need to hear is exactly what God told Elijah. He told Elijah, he says, hold on, I'm coming. I'm on my way. You don't know where to turn. It seems pathless. You've been here for a while, and you don't see another way out. Hold on. I'm coming. I am on my way. I'm on my way. And he goes on to say, Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And hear this. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And Elijah had concluded that, that he had failed in his mission, that he had let God down. It was time to quit. But praise God, he doesn't see it that way. God sees through. God sees through our changing moods, our erratic emotions. He sees through our sometimes ridiculous prayers. God, I want to die. He sees through all that. And he consoles his children the same way a loving parent will console their child. And you see God meet Elijah's need. You see in the middle of this how, God, how God's patient with him. And how God handles him. He wasn't in the earthquake. He wasn't in the wind. He wasn't in the fire. I just recognize earth, wind, and fire. He wasn't in it. If you're, if, you're too old, if you're too young to get that reference, I'm sorry. I want you to recognize that God wasn't found in the remarkable. God wasn't found in the spectacular. He was found in the ordinary. He was found in the stillness. He was found in the whisper. You see, so often you and I, we get stuck in this place of wandering. We don't see a path for us. We don't know which way to turn. We don't know which way to go. We don't know what decision is right. And so we, we're looking for, we're looking for this awe-inspiring, spectacular sign because that's the world that we live in. Bigger is better. And so we're looking for this amazing sign, this spectacular gesture, this explosive gesture to let us, so to, to grab our attention and let us know where to go. But you need to know that that is not always how God operates. In fact, it's not how he operates most of the time. God wasn't found in the spectacular. God wasn't found in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the display of power between the earthquake and the wind and the fire. God was found in the whisper. He was found in the whisper. Why is it that, why is it that when we seem to be going through some of life's most difficult seasons we're overwhelmed by stress we're overcome by anxiety we're consumed by depression why is it in those times that God's voice seems so quiet if God wants my attention if he wants me to recognize him if he wants me to experience him if he wants me to trust him, 
why doesn't he do it in a spectacular way? Why doesn't he do it in a, in a big way? Why is God so quiet? Why does God whisper? He whispers because you don't have to shout at people when you're close to them. God whispers because he's close. He whispers because it's in the still, small voice that causes us to lean in and draw close. You see, God is not after your attention. He's after your heart. And if he has your heart, he has your attention. My little girl, London, she's five. And the other night she came home and, and uh, from, she was home from school and we were eating dinner at our table. It was, it was taco night. I love tacos. And we were sitting there and we're eating and London tells me, she says, Dad, I know Spanish. And I said, do you now? I said, well, like, tell me what Spanish you know. And she says, I know. She said, see. Sí. And I said, well, what does that mean? And she said, thank you. And I said, you're wrong. And she proceeded to tell me that I was, in fact, that I was wrong. I said, no, I'm right. Like, like see does not mean thank you. Well, what does it mean? It means yes. She said, well, well what is thank you? I said, thank you is, is gracias. And I said, and I said, I said, do you got it? She said, yep, I got it. I said, well, so what word do you know? She said, see. I said, what does it mean? She said, thank you. I said, no, it doesn't mean. But like, and, and it was, it was this funny exchange. And finally, we got her to understand that that gracias was was thank you, and she pronounced it caracias. And so it's we're, it's it's a start. But every time. Every, we're sitting at the dinner table, and we got a small dining room table. It's a round table. We all sit together. And every time she would say, see, like it got louder. It was, it was see, see, see. She was becoming more and more emphatic with see. And it got to this, like, I can't do it because she's five and she's a little girl. And it got to this ear-piercing, like eardrum-rupturing type of high pitch. I think only dogs can hear it. But, but I finally just thought, I said, London, I said, please, baby, you do not have to shout. I'm right here. I'm right here. The devil shouts lies. God whispers truth. And he doesn't get truth across by getting louder and louder and louder. He does it in a still, small voice, an effort to draw you close, an effort to help you know that in this season of wilderness, this season of wandering, where I don't see a path, I don't know which way to turn. I can't look back and remember what was before, and I don't really see anything ahead. God, I don't know what to do. He whispers to draw you close. The Bible says in Psalm 34, verse 18, it says that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. And he saves those who are crushed in spirit. 
Psalm 139. I read this last week, verses 7 through 10. It says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Your struggle becomes your strength when it leads you to a place where you depend on God. I've told this before. I've said this to you before. Um, maybe some of you haven't heard this, but um, you know, I, I haven't always been a pastor. I haven't, I haven't always been in full-time ministry. Uh, in fact, before I stepped into ministry from a full-time vocational standpoint, I, I worked in a factory for five years. And I worked 12-hour swing shift, and I made toilet paper. We were number one in the number two business. Like I, I, went, I, I attended and I graduated from a Christian university, North Greenville University in, in Greenville, South Carolina. But even though I, I attended a Christian university, I graduated from a Christian university, I didn't have the opportunity to step in, into full-time ministry until I was 34 years old. I was 34 when I, I first had the opportunity to step into ministry from a vocational standpoint. And what's so odd is that, but, but I, was, I was 20 years old whenever I knew, whenever I felt like God was calling me to be a pastor. At 20 years old, I knew that God was calling me to be a pastor. I knew it. I knew it. But from 20 years old to 34 years old, that just wasn't happening. And it wasn't for lack of trying. But it just seemed over the course of those 14 years, doors weren't opening. It seemed like opportunities were passing me by, and they were passing me by. And it just, it just, it, it just, it wasn't, it wasn't happening. And I wish I could say that during those 14 years, I wish I could say that I remained strong. I wish I could say that I, I never lost hope. I wish I could say that I never doubted, but that would be lying, and I can't do that because I'm a pastor. You shouldn't do it either. Truth is, those 14 years were very much a season of wilderness for me. There didn't seem to be any path to the calling that I felt like God had put on my life. I didn't know where to turn. I didn't know what to do. I felt like I had come so far that when I turned around to maybe go back to where I was, I, I, I lost sight of, where, I lost sight of what, what, what that was. I really couldn't see anything ahead of me. And the reality was, is that 14 years was full of a lot of discouragement. It was a lot of doubt. It was a lot of I'm mad at you God kind of conversations. And other people, other people that I knew and that I was close to, they seemed to be stepping into the thing that they felt like God had called them to do. And I wondered, I wondered, I wondered like what right turn did they make that I didn't, what did I get wrong? What did they get right that I didn't get right? And I compared myself to them and I allowed their success to become my failure. And I, and I, I bought into lies that I told myself. I believed things that weren't even close to being true. 
and nobody was speaking these things over me. It was things that I was speaking over myself. You're never going to be anybody. You're never going to do anything. If God were going to use you, he would have done it by now. You're in your mid-30s, and if you were going, and you should have done something way more than what you've already than what you've already accomplished. And so, like where you are right here, right now, it's the only place you're ever going to be. So, just quit. Just quit. That was very much a season of wilderness. And you want to know? Here's the thing: the thing that drew me out of that, it was nothing spectacular. It was, it, was, it was nothing amazing. It wasn't a miracle. There was, no, there was no massive sign that God gave me that said, this is where you need to go. It was an ordinary conversation with a friend that just said, God is with you. Don't give up. Your best days are ahead of you, not behind you. It was that simple. 14 years of just discouragement, 14 years of feeling like I had gotten it wrong in one ordinary conversation with a friend who said, you're not alone, God is with you, and I'm, I'm, I'm with you too. Just put one foot in front of the other. Just, just spoke encouragement over me. And in, in our world today, that's just filled with, it's filled with like mammoth meetings. Like we've got these big meetings and we're making big moves. And, and we got these high pressure, we got these high pressure promotions. And, you know, it, it's really, in, in the kind of the world that we, that we live in where bigger is better, it's really, really hard for us to understand that God rarely works in the spectacular. Well, if culture says that bigger is better, clearly that's how God has to work. Like, it's hard for us to wrap our mind around the fact that God very rarely uses the dramatic and the colossal. Yes, God is a powerful God, and he has performed miracles. We read about him in Scripture. I've witnessed miracles before. I've seen the power of God on display. But when it comes to the most transformative, culture-shifting events of, of human history, they weren't that spectacular. Whenever God decided that he was going to set a nation apart to be his witness, to be his witness for, toward, of, his, of his faithfulness, he went to a man and a woman named Abraham and Sarah and said, I'm going to create a nation from you through the birth of one son. When God wanted to set a nation of people apart as his, as his chosen people, he sent a baby. And then years later, after, after God's people had been, had, been, had been put into slavery in Egypt, for 400 years they'd been enslaved in Egypt, and God wanted to deliver his children out of slavery to be free again. He, he sent another baby named Moses. And Moses would grow up and stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with the Pharaoh of Egypt and say, God said to let his children go free. He sent a baby. And was, God sent a young teenage boy by the name of David to defeat a Philistine giant named Goliath who was standing between his people and their destiny. And David, this young teenage boy, defeated a Philistine champion. And he didn't do it in a spectacular way. He had a, he had a slingshot and a rock. 
And then whenever God wanted to save the world, when he wanted to save the world, he sent his son, Jesus. Not as this powerful military or political leader who would overthrow an oppressive government, but he sent him as a small, weak, helpless little baby. And then God's desire today is still to reach and meet the needs of a hurting and a broken world through the message of Jesus, through the gospel. And he desires to do that through you. Through you. Through you. And while you and I are wandering wandering around, trying to find our way, looking for some amazing sign that grabs our attention and pulls us out of our wandering and lets us know where to go and what to do and what to say. God is like, God, God is sitting there just going, listen, listen, be still, be quiet. We're looking for something spectacular and all the while God is just whispering your name. Not because he wants your attention, but because he wants your heart. pray for you. Heavenly Father, we come today God, thankful that you're with us. Thankful that you're with us. God, and I pray that, God, that you would just help us to quieten the noise of everything around us. Help us to recognize, Father, that you you don't want our attention. You just want our heart. And then whenever whenever you have our heart, Father, you've got our attention. God, help us to lean into who you are. Help us to listen for your voice. God, God is through this. God God is through whatever wilderness and whatever wandering we're, we're going through. Help us to know that you're here. As you continue to pray, if you're, if you're here in the room today and, and you've, 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 never, you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never trusted God with your life and put your faith in Jesus, you never asked him to be your savior, and you want to do that today, and that's your first step to allowing God to step into your life and, and lead you and guide you. If you've never done that and you want to give your life to Jesus today, would you just let me know? Nobody looking around, nobody's eyes are up or anything. Uh, just, I, I, wish, I, want, I just want to pray for you. So if you want to, if you want to put your faith in God, you want to give your faith, you want to put your faith in Jesus. Just, just raise your hand. Just let me know. I just want to pray for you. I just want to pray for you. Yeah. Heavenly Father, we love you today, Father. We thank you for everybody in this room, Father. That 
and just put their trust in you. Father, I pray, Father, that you would, God, that you would set them free, that you would save them, that you would help them to be who you've called them to be. Help them to recognize, Father, that whenever we say yes to you, the, our old life is gone and a new life comes. God, we love you so much. Once again, Father, we thank you for being with us. Now, Father, I pray that, Father, that you would help us to hear your voice, a voice that leads us and guides us in, 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 a, in a gentle and in a patient way. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. We put our hands together for everybody that their, gave, their, gave their life to Jesus today. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. To stay in the know with Gateway City Church, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook. If you'd like to support this ministry financially, visit us online at gatewaycitychurch.co to select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for listening to this week's message.